Hey, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio Special Edition. Before we get started, I just want to thank everybody for listening to the past handful of Sunday editions because I've been doing really jargon-heavy, intricate things, episodes about watching anime in, as I like to think of it, the year of our Satan, 2020, because there is no God. This episode, I want to talk about something a little bit more big picture, because on the Anime World Order episode that came out yesterday's day of recording this, which was the 26th, Gerald Rascold talked about a rumor that was flying around that <laughs> was almost a wish for some people that AT&T was planning on selling Crunchyroll or was trying to sell Crunchyroll to Sony, which would make basically a anime streaming monopoly. And he said something that is <laughs> really interesting and really smart. And he, he made this comment that where he said, why do nerds always want a monopoly? If you ask comic book fans what they want more than anything, many of them would say that actually my roommate in college actually said this, that they want Disney to buy DC so DC and Marvel can be under the same roof and they can have all the glorious crossover stuff that everybody kind of dreams of. Some of which has actually happened in the past. Like, there is precedent for straight-up Wolverine picking up Milnir. Once again, you know, who, who can vouch for anything anymore? That's the hope that people have when they talk about Monopoly. When they talk about what I'm going to call content monopolies. Not necessarily company monopolies. Although, don't kid yourself, that's what that would be too. If you... Think about all the stuff that DC makes. I mean, DC makes Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, basically the entire Justice League, Teen Titans, which I'm going to talk about in a second, actually. It wouldn't be as hunky-dory as you probably suspect. On top of Ger- so, on top of Gerald's comment in Anime World World Order, which if you don't listen to Anime World Order, you really should. If you like my show. Their show is, like, miles above mine in terms of, A, popularity, B, not, their knowledge is more in-depth and less shaky than mine, and they, they are the people I want, as, as Daryl as Surratt puts it, he, they are your favorite anime podcasters, favorite anime podcasters. Definitely go check them out, but not that they need my plug or anything. In addition to that, what happened the day of recording this is HBO Max premiered. If you don't know anything about like streaming world outside of anime, HBO Max is HBO's new format of a thing, and it's HBO's branding, it's using HBO's branding to encapsulate things like some DC Universe shows, not all, a select amount of Crunchyroll shows from Crunchyroll, not even that Crunchyroll necessarily has on it, but like shows that Crunchyroll went out and got for this service, 
Cabinari of the Iron Fortress is on the Crunchyroll, is in the Crunchyroll collection. That show is a Prime exclusive, as far as I know. So, AT&T, which owns Time Warner, which owns HBO, is using the kind of brand housing of HBO to create its own Netflix competitor. That's what's happening there. With all the other things they bought over the years, namely Crunchyroll, which we've covered in the past, if you'll remember, they have a stake in DC, they have WB Networks, they have some stake in TNT, I believe. They've become this heaving mass of license pools, and license pools are what you call like a grouping of licenses. So Crunchyroll has its license pool. HBO has, HBO mostly produces original content, but HBO actually does have a license pool in its movies and documentaries. You have the DC license pool, which for the first time outside of, um, outside of Amazon includes all of Teen Titans. And I mean, all of it. It's in a funky order, but all of it. Like, I, there's an episode that I can't figure out where the hell it is, and that's the first episode. <laughs> but other than that, that show is intact. You can go watch it on um, HBO Max if you are jonesing for some Teen Titans, which is really cool. Don't get me wrong. The Perhaps the most impressive thing of this, of their, like, mo- of all the licenses they've acquired and all the rights they've done and all the deals they've done, is it is the first time in at least um, recent memory that I have seen all of Studio Ghibli's filmography available to stream anywhere. And I'm really excited about that. I finally get to watch Pompoko. I finally get to watch all these weird Ghibli movies that, for whatever reason, I haven't seen. <laughs> um, and that's super great and relevant. The thing about the streaming networks right now is the reason they are so great is because there's a massive amount of competition. HBO Max went out and they probably worked fucking hard and paid millions of dollars for the rights to stream for who knows how long the Studio Ghibli filmography in total. Everything's there. Tales from Earthsea, God help us all. Up on Poppy Hill, all this different stuff. They went and they made the deals to make to get that done. They made the deals to get early two thousands Teen Titans from when I was a kid on the on the serve on the service. So they can compete with the likes of Netflix, the likes of Hulu, the likes of all these other things. And the only reason why HBO Max is so good is because it's not a monopoly. Actually, it is this big heaving pile of brands. Absolutely. It's not the end all be all. If you want to watch every, every cool thing on the internet, you need to have a lot of subscriptions still. But if you, but each streaming network is doing its best to come up with ways to make sure you subscribe to them. You keep subscribing to them and don't keep subscribing to say someone else. Now I want to, talk about something. I want to take you on a history lesson, so to speak, for a, for a second. And that history lesson has to do with iTunes. Now, when iTunes started, it was not 
it was not necessarily a sure thing. But what they did, what Steve Jobs specifically did, is he went into the he went into a boardroom with all the music with all the executives, all the music companies, and he said, "If you don't get on this train, you're gonna get run over by it." And in time, everybody fell in line, with with a few giant notable exceptions. Um, the biggest exception until about I think two thousand and like. Like the the mid two thousands was the Beatles. I remember when the Beatles came to iTunes, it was a huge deal. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast in like the Sunday edition. But there was one stand there was one standout, one person who refused to allow his music on iTunes. And I know about this because I was a countercultural kid. So I didn't have an iPod when I was in high school, when I was in middle school and high school. I, I didn't even have an iPod. I didn't have an iPod and uh, Apple anything until after I was done with college in 2010. I had a Zune. Zune was the progenitor of the music subscription, basically. It, the, there's a joke in tech that Microsoft is always two, two to three years too early to, for their trends to work out for them. And... Zune was certainly that exact thing. So you could subscribe to things called Zune Unlimited and you would get everything in the library for the month you subscribe or however long you subscribe. So I subscribed for like a year at a time, oftentimes getting a renewal for my birthday. I was afforded a luxury that iTunes users were not. And that luxury was I could listen to Kid Rock albums. And if you're like, what the fuck does Kid Rock have to do with this? Well, you should know that Kid Rock was one of the notable artists who said, no, I will not allow my music on iTunes. The deal isn't good enough. The amount of money per play, per, the amount of money they want to give me for my song library is not good enough. I mean, it, and he wasn't wrong, but because of the way iTunes was pitched and became, he became this outlier. He became this like, and granted, granted, Kid Rock is not a great person. He looks like aging Dr. Phil now, and he like runs for political office on the far right. He's kind of an asshole. But he did have this point. What Apple was doing to artists, and Apple did this for long after they deal they dealt with Kid Rock, was they were negotiating from such a point of power because they had iTunes that they could underbid on what they thought was something valuable. That's the reason why the Beatles didn't come to that for a long time, because the Jackson family estate Michael Jackson at first, and then the Jackson family estate, wanted a lot of money for the Beatles, for the Beatles catalog, basically. And so Kid Rock wanted a lot of money for his music because I, there is a there is a kind of person who knows Kid Rock music, and there's also a kind of person. I'm this kind of person who has heard Kid Rock music enough. Where 
he when he sings Kid Rock, he Kid Rock, he still sings balls the balls the bang the bang jiggy jiggy, and I probably set off alarms in people's heads just now. If I didn't set an alarm set an alarm off in your head, congratulations, you have not taken the poison pill. This dem this fight demonstrated the fact that. Apple iTunes had become somewhat of a monopoly. Thankfully, Zoom, the, Zoom, the Zoom service, Zoom Unlimited, was there, and Kid Rock, and they gave artists great deals. Like, great deals for their catalogs, so you could listen to Kid, Kid Rock music on there. That was true of a lot of different things. I think you might have been able to listen to Beatles music on there, too. And that was because their revenue model for artists was different. It was something that looked probably more like Spotify and less like terrestrial iTunes before Apple Music was a thing. That's another. That's a demonstration outside of anime that shows the good that having at least two competitors can do in a... I'm sorry there's construction happening in my neighborhood right now. It sucks. But... That's, that shows what good a competition can do. But let's go down a fantasy scenario, shall we? Let's look at what would happen if Sony owned, or even AT, either side, if one company owned both the big, let's throw in High Dive, let's just toss in, you know what, let's toss in Retro Crush. Let's toss in all the anime streaming things. Retro Crush. High Dive, Crunchyroll, Funimation, those are the four. Those are the four. If you get those four, you capture probably uh, at least seventy-five percent of the anime of the anime streaming pie, and you and you would make a monopoly. A couple things would probably happen. A because it's a niche market, but because they are the place you go, they would do their best to find the ceiling on how much you'd be willing to pay to watch, to, for the privilege of watching anime. Secondly, they would do their best to spend as little money as possible on licensing. Now, if you remember my... um about two Sunday editions ago, I talked about the Crunchyroll X um, Funimation deal. Actually, I think I talked about that last ep- last Sunday ep- edition. But, or probably both. But, the reason Funimation did that was because they wanted to avoid a kind of nightmare scenario in which they were foreseeing license pricing getting out of control because... They were bidding against each other, and they were bidding against Hulu, and they were bidding against, you know, they were bidding against all these people. So they wanted a way to at least have some control over price inflation, which is what it's called when something, when a cost of something balloons out of control. And so they did the Crunchyroll X Funimation. They made sure that there was some monetary benefit to the subscribers of both services. And they started going after licenses, offering a package deal where Funimation will get the dub, Crunchyroll will get the sub, and 
off and they went to the races for about two years from 2016 to 2018. Now, they were doing that primarily because they wanted to keep being able to afford anime once Netflix started bidding a million dollars for stuff like Ava. But let's say both of them were owned, were actually owned by the same company and it was just and it was just that company let's say all the all the anime streaming was owned by the same company and they were going to the Japanese studios to negotiate. They would be able to negotiate offer lower prices to anime studios for the content because they are at that point the only game in town other than more generalized services or something like or a situation like Netflix which not every studio wants to deal with honestly for a host of reasons and that isn't of benefit to many anime to many animation studio Japanese animation studios. So they may just say, you know what, we're good, we're good, no thanks. And then you have the piracy problem of the early two thousands, where there's just stuff not being legally licensed, and pirate and pirate fan, fan sub crews show up and they fan sub it and put it out illegally. And you gotta go hunting across the internet for that shit. But the other thing that would happen is the kinds of shows would become much more narrow because you'd have all this data from one service, from one company. And of course, animation studios might tailor to that. And then probably the last thing that would happen is that company would get overloaded really quickly. If we've already seen what a pandemic does to a service like to the the internet, if you look on um, a service I think called Downfinder, you can see Crunchyroll is in the top ten of services that is like close to being overloaded at all times. And Crunchyroll has gone down before. After Crunchyroll surpassed a million subscribers, it became kind of a crapshoot for a while there. And especially with Dragon Ball Super airing, every day, every week when Dragon Ball Super aired, Crunchyroll got really shaky. And to give you an idea, a million subscribers is not a big number of subscribers for a street, for a major streaming service. Netflix has like billions of subscribers. Hulu has millions of subscribers. One million is not like it's 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 a landmark goal, but it's moved past very quickly. So. If there's only, and what you're not remembering is, even though it may not be much, some of, some anime fans are watching on Funimation, some anime fans are watching on High Dive, some anime fans are watching on Retro Crush, some are watching on Verve, God help us, and 
that means that the, that that user load is split between all four or all five services. If they're all centralized into the same service, then you have like tons of activity constantly, never ending, things breaking left and right, service outages, all this shit. And it becomes a problem. And so uh, one of the things that people always say, that people say with the Marvel DC fantasy is that all those IPs would be in one place. And this is what I want you to think of IPs or intellectual properties as from now on. And it'll change, it'll change your view on streaming and on programming and all that shit. Don't think of something like Naruto as an intellectual property. Think of it as a brand. And that's part of the reason why I thought of the Chris the Kid Rock thing is because artists see themselves as brands and they are their own brand ambassador for their brand. And if you think of something like Naruto as a brand first and a intellectual property second, it makes this whole equation much more simpler. If you look at the um, theme much simpler, if you look at the streaming services as grocery stores, and in that grocery store they sell ketchup that is Naruto brand, or let's say ketchup, let's say Naruto is a ketchup brand, let's say Naruto is Heinz ketchup, they sell Naruto brand in that grocery store. If you like that, you're going to that grocery store. If you like, say, Sailor Moon, you're going to the Hulu grocery store. If you like Food Wars, you could go to a bunch of grocery stores, but you might go to the High Dive grocery store. And these streaming networks coveting these brands and not, and not, um, melding into one mega store like Walmart is beneficial to all of us because we get to pick and choose and we end up paying less. We, we may end up paying a little bit more, but the relationship with all of these, with all of these grocery stores or streaming networks is less abusive. Crunchyroll has to care about what you think, and they have to. They are attempting to do things like originals, and they created two conventions because they need to be there for their audience, or else the audience will lose interest and will freeze the subscription for six months. But because Crunchyroll is now offered all this stuff. They are expanding their brand and they are competing. If they no longer, if companies no longer have to compete in a space, then they start acting out of profit motive and seeing their customers as bags of money. And if you look at if you look at the top streaming network, Netflix, you see this with Netflix. Netflix 
knows they've got us. They know that they've got us. They know I'll keep paying for Netflix because I'm a dumbass. And yes, competition has forced them to keep wanting to make originals, keep like expanding where you can watch Netflix, although it's not on the Switch yet. Why the fuck not? I don't know. But it it puts them in this competitive mode. But because they have such a big subscriber base, that will not necessarily not drop off, but will not shrink at the drastic rates that, say, a Quibi would, which Quibi is a fucked up nightmare. Um... They don't. They don't need to worry about the fact that when you originally subscribed to Netflix when it was first a thing, it was eight bucks. Now you can pay up to what I what what I pay is I think like thirteen bucks. You can pay almost twice the original subscription cost for Netflix for the same service. Yes, with more stuff, but no, other than that, other than the fact that their grocery store carries more brands now, there's nothing inherently different about Netflix from when it started, other than the fact that now the DVD side is gone. Yes, they've changed the app. Yes, they've added some new features, but it is still streaming video over an internet connection into your eyeballs. It's the same thing. Except now they charge you way more for it because they can. And because they know that you're not gonna necessarily going to go anywhere if they just up the subscription. And that's the kind of behavior that a monopoly would engage in, except it would engage in it on a much more aggressive scale. So if you're thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Funimation and Crunchyroll were owned by the same place? Not really. And I, I, I hate to be the wet blanket on, like, the dream, on the dream mega company, but that... That, stu that stuff never... That stuff very quickly turns into product driving, product driving the bus when it should be company, when it should be customer driving the bus. And on that note, I hope that you found this episode interesting. This was a more off-the-cuff one. I'm not sitting here with a big list of notes. But if you enjoyed this episode, these, were, these episodes come out every Sunday at around 10 a.m. But the normal episode comes, the regular episodes of just the Lunchbox Radio, comes out on Thursdays at like Thursday night maybe 9, 10, maybe like 9, 10 p.m. And you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using to listen to me right now and give me a five-star review. That really helps the show. But until Thursday, until Thursday, I've been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. I'll talk to you on Thursday.